have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 78. Uh, so we are in the book of Hebrews. We're making our way through that book, but today we are taking a break as we are specifically looking just at parenting. And we're going to look at what God's Word says. And so we are going to be in Psalm 78 because it's a pretty incredible psalm that really deals a lot with parenting. Um, let me just say this. I'm in no expert in parenting. Uh, I do have three children. And uh, yeah, you guys want to come up here? And no, no, they definitely don't want to come up here. Uh, 13, 11, and 9. Oh, yeah, there they all are. I see them. And, uh, but, you know, as, as I prepared for this sermon, I went back over to some of the books that I love on parenting and was reading them and, and just kind of studying God's Word. And there was areas that I was encouraged in, and there was areas I was going, wow, man, parenting is hard, and it's easy to kind of drift a little bit and maybe be not as intentional in certain things. And so uh, this week has been good for me, just reminding myself of the role of what it is to be a parent. Um, But real quick, before we go into the text, uh, I want to just say, you might be here today and you're not a parent and you're going... Is this applicable for me? Do I need to be here today? <laughs> is, this, is this just applicable for someone else? Um, so I want to give you just three ways, if you're not a parent, why this sermon on parenting is still extremely applicable for you today also. One, you know someone who is a parent. So this will help you and encourage you on ways that you can encourage and support others who are parents. Number two, you might be a parent someday. So this will be as a means of preparation for that day. And lastly, uh, really, when we look at parenting, the truth about how we parent is very similar to how we make disciples. Really, everything I'm going through today is what it means for us to love one another, to build each other up, how we come alongside each other. It's also, it's very similar to what it looks like when we come alongside our neighbors those who do not yet know Christ. And so every point that we're looking at today with just a minor tweaking of some words could easily be applied to as you look at making disciples in your neighborhood, at your workplace, or wherever you find yourself, or even here in the church. And so those are just three ways that you can know that this is applicable and beneficial to every one of us. I want to go ahead and encourage you to stand. Uh, We stand at the reading of God's Word. Now, if you've noticed, Psalm 78 is 72 verses long, so you might want to stretch first. And uh, no, just kidding. We're not going to read all 72 verses, although it would be awesome. And let me just say this. Uh, Read it later. This psalm is amazing. Uh, But we're just going to read the first eight verses. We will talk through much of this psalm, but we're just going to specifically read the first eight verses this morning, and then we'll pray. Here it is, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. 
and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers." A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, Father, give us wisdom today as we study your word. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, our eyes, our minds, that we would understand the truth of your word. And I pray for every dad, every mom who is here, that this word would be encouraging, would be instructive, that it would be equipping, that every single person here would feel more equipped today because of your word to live out the roles that God has given us. And Lord, I pray for every single child here however old, however young they are, that they would hear your word. And this would just serve as a means of saving them and that also it would give them a way for them to know how to pray for their parents, that their parents would shepherd and to live and to teach in a godly way. Lord, we recognize that the children are a gift and therefore being a husband being a father, being a mother, being a wife, that is also a gift. And you have given us your word that you would equip us that we could live out these roles. And I just pray that as a church, we would continue to grow in our understanding of these roles so that we would live, a way, live in a way that glorifies and honors you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Y'all may be seated. Um. I'm excited about today. It's just fun. Don't you like? I mean, it's just cool seeing all the families up here. Uh, here's a question to start with. What's the goal of parenting? So someone comes up to you and says, what's the purpose of being a parent? What is your number one priority? Of everything that you do, what are you trying to accomplish? And just think about that for a moment. I think I have an answer. I don't think any of us would affirm this answer, but I think many of us would functionally live out this answer. Does that make sense? None of us would be brave enough to say we live this way, but we probably often live this way. Um, I think the default answer, if we would articulate it, would be that our goal is to raise children so they honor us as their parents. I think that's how we would often articulate, or, or at least we functionally act like that. Does that make sense? That's the way, that's kind of our default mode. Think about it. We want kids that we can take out in public that won't embarrass us, right? Like when you're in that checkout line at the grocery store, that's not when they decide to start practicing curse words. I had that happen. I was like, oh my goodness, and of course, there's like 95 people around you at that point. Uh, and all I think about at that point is the, how this reflects on me. Like, it's, that's, that's not really about the parenting at this moment. It's about, oh my goodness, everyone thinks. Anyways, uh, that happens a lot. 
weird things like that in my household. I feel like, um, you know, it's always when you're in public that kids figure out that's when they want to try something new. Isn't that right? Hey, I saw this at school. I'll practice it now in front of everyone at Walmart. Um, we want kids who won't say incredibly offensive things in public. Which, you know, I mean, kids are just so honest, and they just, they're so curious about the world. Why does that person look that way, Mommy? Out loud in front of everyone. We want kids that we can brag about to other parents, right? I mean, that's why we put the bumper stickers. My kid does this sport. My kid's this way in academics. And then the kids and the parents who don't have kids that are good in athletics or academics, they put the bumper sticker, my kid can beat up your honor kid. Have you seen that one? Like, I mean, whatever it takes to be able to boast about our children. So we want our kids who are morally respectable. We want kids who don't fight or make messes so that when we come home, we get to do what we want, right? Like, it's not so much that I just don't want them to make a mess. I don't want my furniture ruined. It's not that I don't want them to fight, but, I mean, I don't. But I just want to be able to relax when I come home and not have to deal with X, Y, and Z. We want kids who, who make much of us. And if we were to kind of boil it down, if, if, if we're kings of our little mini kingdoms of our homes, then our children are there to serve and to make much of us. And the reason I say, I think functionally we act like that is because so often what we do is we parent uh, about the situation rather than the heart, meaning we're more about behavior modification than heart transformation. Like if I can just get them to stop fighting, that's good, rather than, than the, rather than them understanding why they're fighting, the sin that's there, and how they're actually called to live. But I just want them to stop fighting so I can then go back to doing what I want to do. So we often are more concerned about behavior modification. How do we just simmer everything down, make it easy so that we can go about our day? Versus the much harder task, and I believe what we're going to see in God's Word, the biblical task of how do we parent for heart transformation? And so... What we're going to see in Psalm 78 is that I believe that the vision that it gives us, that parents are called to raise their children so they will trust in God and faithfully obey him, that's our goal. That's our hope. As our children would one day trust in God and faithfully obey God. Look at verses 5 through 7, right there in Psalm 78. It says, God commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Our goal, and notice what's happening, our goal is for our children to set their hope in God, but not just them, but that, do you see what happens if our children set their hope in God, then they will raise their children in such a way that they will set their hope in God, that they will then raise their children, that they will set their hope in God. We parent not just for our children, but for the next generations to come. That's how we're to parent our children. Not with just our eyes on our immediate family, but realizing the things that I do, the way that I live, 
The teachings that I give will not only impact my children, but their children and their children to come. I don't think most of us think that way. I don't think that way often enough that how am I correcting this or shepherding in this or leading in this way? Not just for the sake of the moment, but for the generations. That's what Psalm 78 is calling us to think through. How do we parent that our children would set their hope in God, to trust Him and obey Him? And so, uh, so what does that look like? Well, Psalm 78 really shows what it doesn't look like. I mean, all throughout uh, this psalm, so this psalm is a historical psalm, and it's the longest of them, which is why we didn't get to read all of it here. But I encourage you, go read this psalm later. In verses 9 through 58, we see it documents Israel's forgetfulness, rebelliousness, and their unfaithfulness to God. That's what it does. It just highlights how wicked really Israel is. In fact, let me just read through so you can kind of follow along. Verses 10 through 11, and this is all in regards to Israel. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Verse 17, yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. Verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned despite his wonders they did not believe. Verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day that he redeemed them from the foe. You notice verse 10 talks about they, uh, they forgot his works. Verse 40 talks about they did not remember. What we have continually is Israel is forgetting. That's why the title today is Raising a Generation That remembers. You see, Israel, they weren't captivated by God. They weren't in awe of God. They continually forgot his commands. They lived how they wanted. They did not believe in God. In reality, Psalm 78 shows what happens if the extent of our Christian parenting is that we check a box and say Christian. If that's the extent of our parenting, or maybe we do. We, we, we say our, our prayers before, uh, before we eat, and we attend church on Sunday. And if that's the extent, we just kind of check the box and say, that's all that we do. I think Psalm 78 is showing this is what that's going to look like. We're going to see generations forget about who God is. They're going to live the, the way that they want. And they're going to have no desire to please God. And so in the purpose of highlighting the sinfulness and the rebelliousness of Israel, he then highlights the grace of God all throughout this psalm. I mean, throughout this psalm, I think we just sit there and we're going, all right, God, when are you going to strike him down? When are you going to strike him down? When are you going to bring forth judgment? And he continues to give grace upon grace upon grace. And so this psalm is teaching us about the character of our God, the God who is worthy of all glory and honor and worship, and teaching us how important it is that we teach our children God's word, that we take our roles as mothers and fathers and we live them out according to God's word so that our children would understand truths like, like Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, let us not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but may we lay up treasures in heaven. That's what we want our children to understand, that this world, one day it's going to pass away, 
And God's going to break everything new. We want to live for that day. Or like what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Remember when he describes the rich man who builds barns after barns after barns to put all of his stuff in? And all he does, he's just consumed with all of his possessions and making sure he has everything that he wants. And after he gets all of his barns built, he kicks back to him. He's like, man, this is good. And then Jesus says, fool, tonight your life is required of you. Whose will all this be now? The point is, what does it matter? Not that stuff doesn't matter. Not that we should be against things, but we need to rightly understand them. We need to rightly understand possessions, relationships. And our role as parents is to help our kids understand that. And so Paul Tripp, in his book, Parenting, that's the book that each of the parents received today that were up here, he gives 14 principles on what it looks like to live, a God, to live as a godly parent. Things just to understand. So that is an incredible book. Um, I don't have that one up here uh, to give away later. But Parenting by Paul Tripp, excellent book. And one of the things he says He says, as parents, we need to liken our role of parenting to that of an ambassador. Meaning that everything we do, we're to represent Christ to our children. You know, Paul used that same language in 2 Corinthians by again saying, in this world, what are we to be as Christians? We're to be ambassadors representing Christ. Again, remember. This sermon's applicable for all of us because whether you're a parent or you're a Christian, we're called to disciple. So parents, in addition to discipling within the church and in their community, have a targeted audience in their home. Okay? But we all are called to disciple, so we're all called to be ambassadors and parents. We need to make sure we take that understanding of being ambassador outside in this world and we bring that right inside the home and we think, everything that I do to represent Christ, to show my children the glory, the beauty, the might, and the wonder of our Savior. That right there, um, reading that chapter, that's, that's like truth number one. I think that's truth number one, or that's the intro of his book, I don't remember. Uh, that's like worth the book right there, Parenting by Paul Tripp. So, how are we to do this? How do we carry out this vision. And before we go on, and I, just so you know, I have no clue. There's like eight points in your sermon guide today. I have no clue if we'll get through all those. We'll get through what we get to. Um, as we go through this sermon, it's easy when we start talking about the way that God calls us to live. Based upon your personality, based upon just where you're at emotionally, just based upon what God is doing in your heart right now, some of us can sometimes respond to a sermon like this and be like, oh, I've, I've screwed up. It's too late for me, and we just kind of throw in the towel, or we go, my kid's like 15 now, have I just messed it all up, is it too late to change? I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, God's spirit is in you for the purpose of equipping you to live this way. So there is nothing that we're talking about as a parent or as a Christian that is outside of your reach And it's not because you can do it in your power, but because God gives his grace. If you have believed in Jesus, his spirit, 
The third person of the Trinity literally dwells within you, empowers you, and strengthens you to live this way. So there might be need to be some repentance as we go through this sermon. You go, oh, I haven't done this, okay? You need to think through some of these things. That's great. We all ought to be moved to repentance. But no matter where you're at today, God desires to use this word as a means of instruction and equipping, not as a means of destroying. I hope you know that because it's so easy when we come to a word like this and sin and Satan just wants to pervert it and you just say, I've screwed up. There's no point anymore. And we walk out feeling like we're a failure. And while we might not have done what God has called us to do, I want you to know that God has given this word for the purpose of instruction, for the purpose of encouragement. Sin and Satan will do anything to twist that. So I said that at the beginning of this Pray against that. And just in your own heart, just pray for the church right now that we would not let sin just twist this word so that it be a means of destroying, but that we would truly hear it as God desires to build us and equip equip us. Okay. So how do we do this? Parents, we need to know we as parents are the primary spiritual teachers of our children. It is you as a parent. Look at verse 5. The psalmist says, God has commanded parents to be the teachers of their children. We go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we see that God gives the law. He commands the parents to teach their children God's law. As you go through the book of Proverbs, do you remember who Proverbs is written to? My son. All throughout the book, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son. It's a dad writing to his child, and he's saying, I want you to live in a godly way. The whole book of Proverbs is about parenting, and if you need a good book on parenting, forget these books, just start with Proverbs. It's literally made from a dad to his kid, how do we raise our children? It's filled with teachings. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, we will not hide them, referring to God's word, them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, his wonders, all that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Here's, we are to teach our children about the character of God about his mighty works and the hope that he gives us in Jesus. We also see that there's implications for knowing who God is. He gives us a law. He gives us his word that we would know how to live. So this is the way the law functions. A lot of times we think of the law like a ladder. It's like, well, if I obey the law, I work my way up to God. Like we're getting better, like we're earning something before God. We're proving something. That's the wrong way, okay? Think of the law like train tracks, okay? And as we live by faith, we follow the train tracks. The train tracks are just merely there saying, this is what it looks like to live by faith. This is what it looks like to have faith in God. So the law just flushes that out, and it shows us how we live and how we live our faith. So, um, for example, this is why James, the brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James, will say, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
The whole point is, if we have faith, parents, if we have faith in Christ, then we're called to live a particular way, and we're called to teach our children to live in a particular way. What does that look like? We're going to find it in God's Word. And as we teach God's Word, we're not telling our children, climb the ladder so you get better to God, you earn something to God. We're telling them, God's Word is more like tracks showing us how we live a godly life. So if parents, if you are the primary educators, shepherds, instructors, teachers in your house, then what does the church do? What do we do? Well, our job is to come alongside you as parents. Our job is to encourage you and to pray for you. Our job is to pray for your children, that they would know Jesus, that they would believe in him. Our job is to provide a place, like, like some of our children are experiencing right now, where they're growing with other children, other peers within their same age group, wrestling with God's word and understanding what is it like to live out God's word in this context. Our job is to come alongside you as parents, to come alongside your children, and we pray for you. But, but just like you, you, you require physical food every day, so your children need spiritual food every single day. That's what happens in the home. If you only ate once a week, you wouldn't look so good. And if you only ate spiritually once a week, you won't look so good. And so if we require, if we rely upon the church to do all the teaching, we're actually relying on it to do something that it was never intended to do. We're called to come alongside the home, to build up and to encourage, which is why even at our um, parents, um, our parent meeting that we had the other day for each of the parents that were here, my, my last question to them was, hey, how can we come alongside you better? As a church, what are things that we can do to help, to help support the home? And so I just want to throw that out there to you. If you have seen things in other churches, if you have ideas or ways, we want to continually think through. How do we help support you as a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife? How do we come alongside your children? So if you have ideas, I'd love to know about those. Um, so I encourage you for that feedback. So if we are the primary spiritual teachers of our children, then there are certain things that we need to know. Number one, we need to know God's word. Number one, we need to know God's word. After all, if we're called like what we see here in Psalm 78, that we would teach about the character of God, if we would teach about his wondrous deeds, if we would help our children understand that the God of the Bible is different from other gods and the way that he has created all things, the way that he comes and he speaks to man, the way that he saves man, if they're going to understand the cross and the resurrection and why Jesus ever had to come, why those 39 books in the Old Testament lead us to Jesus, then we're going to need to know God's word. It's in the word that we understand who God is. God reveals himself in his word. And it's in the word that we, are, that we see how rebellious we are. You see, when we read through Psalm 78 and we read through things like verse 8 and that, um, that they were a, their fathers were a stubborn and rebellious generation, was not st their hearts were not steadfast, their spirits were not faithful, we're not to look at arm's distance to say, man, Israel really screwed up. Sure glad I'm not like them. That's what we often do. Remember, remember when we read the Gospels and we read Peter and we're like, oh man, Peter, 
Man, how did he mess up so many times? Do you realize that you and I would do nothing probably different than Peter? And if we were written into the Bible, we'd probably make Peter look a lot better? Like, you realize that? Like, when we read about people who are, are making mistakes, it's not that we go, oh, look at them. It's that we go, this is who we are apart from God's grace. This is our sinfulness. This is our rebelliousness. This is the heart of sin that we are born with. So as we come into God's word, it helps us understand who God is and his perfect holiness and his character and helps us, us see our sinfulness and our disobedience. And what we understand is that we are a forgetful people. And what we understand is that God is gracious. Look at... Uh, Look at Psalm 78, verse 36. Look at that one. It says, They flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet, he being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. Do you see that? We have a God who's gracious. We have, we have a people who have offended him, a people who have rebelled, a people who are sinful, a people who deserve wrath. And what does God do? He restrains his anger and he gives grace. Now, why does he do that? Go on to verses 70 to 72. It says, he chose David. His servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded him and guided them with his skillful hand. So here, here's the trajectory of this song. It begins with we need to teach our children about God so they will not be like the previous generations who did not believe in God. Then we have like 50 verses or 60 verses of rebelliousness and disobedience and then at the end of the psalm we're told that God says I choose Judah and I'm going to bring forth someone from Judah it's going to be David I'm going to make him a shepherd king and this shepherd king will now lead my rebellious people in righteousness what my people need is a shepherd king they need a righteous king to save them and so the solution to the rebelliousness of God's people is the gift of a shepherd king. Now, if you've been with us, and if you know God's word, you know that as we make our way through the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is about preparation for why Jesus comes, right? We're in the book of Hebrews right now. The whole, remember our tagline, from shadow to reality. The book of Hebrews is saying, look at everything in the Old Testament and how it points to the reality of Jesus Christ. And so here we have a rebellious people. The solution is they need a righteous shepherd king. Pointing to the fact that ultimately God will send his son Jesus Christ. Who will come to this earth. Will die on a cross. Raised from the grave. Where he's now seated at the right hand of God. Where he says I am the good shepherd. Where he says my sheep know my voice. They hear me. And when I call they follow me. And he says no one will take them out of my hand. My father and I are one. And no one will snatch them from my father's hand as well. So he now is our faithful righteous shepherd king. What you and I need 
is a king who will lead us, who provide for us, who will guide us and will help us. Parents, the only way we're going to be saved and the only way we're going to teach our children and live in the way that God calls us to is because there's a shepherd king who provides the grace for us. That's what Psalm 78 is pointing us to. And so if we, parents, are going to teach our children, we need to know not only God's word, the trajectory of God's word on how it really does all point to Christ and how Jesus comes to be the solution to our problems. And we need to see that God doesn't just give grace. You know like when you get mashed potatoes, we put like a little bit of pepper or a little bit of salt on them? That's not the way God gives grace. He's extravagant. He dumps it all on top through the giving of his son. So we want to shepherd and teach our children that they would see the extravagant grace of God because as we make our way through Psalm 78, we're meant to just simply be in awe. God keeps giving grace. And how is it that he restrains his anger? Because one day there's going to be a son who comes and dies on a cross to absorb all that wrath that we deserve. That's why God restrains his anger because Jesus will absorb it for us on the cross. That's what we need to know. That's what our children need to know. So that's, that's the first thing we need to know. We've got like six of these. Um, number two, parents, we must delight in God and live out biblical truths. In verse 8, the author rebukes the previous generation for not obeying and teaching God's word. He says they're stubborn, they're rebellious, their heart's not steadfast. So we know, though, Israel, in the Old Testament, they kept doing sacrifices. You know that, right? Like, if you go to the major and minor prophets, they continue to make sacrifices. They do the things that God calls them to do. They just do it out of ritualistic, joyless duty. That's what they do. God called us to make a sacrifice. We'll do sacrifices, but we have no desire to actually love and worship God. They're just simply checking boxes. It's kind of like... uh, well, and, and joyless, ritualistic duty, when that's the way we live out our Christian life, trust me, no one wants that God. If that's the way we live, there's no way anyone wants. Think of your kids. You, you give them chores. Mine do chores on Saturday. They love chores on Saturday. They're always telling their friends, hey, you want to come over? We're doing chores. It's awesome. It's really cool. You're going to have a great time. In fact, sometimes our kids wake up early on Fridays, and they're like, hey, can we do chores a day early? And then sometimes on Mondays, they're like, hey, we know it's a week away, but can we start soon? Now, like, that never happens, right? You're like, man, what do you do? (laughs) What kind of chores do you give your kids? No, my kids are like, oh, it's chore day. But they do it out of ritualistic duty. And it's not contagious at all. No one watches my kids. Sorry, you guys are great. You guys do a great job of chores. Great job. (laughs) But no one watches my kids do chores, and they're like, Oh, man, if we could do that, too, that'd be pretty amazing. If that's the way we live our Christian life, parents, if that's the way we demonstrate our love and our awe for God, why would we ever wonder why our kids don't want our God? Right? Like, if we're just, yep, hey, it's kids, it's Sunday, kids, suck it up, we're going to church, you can do what you want later, you know? Fun time later, we're going to church now. Like, those are the kind of things we kind of say. But we wonder... Why they don't? Why they don't love growing in God's word? Why do they don't desire to know God more and more? 
This is what Ted Tripp says in his book, Instructing a Child's Heart. He says, if God's word is dear to us, it will be important to our children. We must be dazzled by God. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we go throughout the God's word and we see the joy that he has and the joy that he gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that joy is meant to dwell within our hearts, that we would display that joy in the way we love God's word, the way we love to obey, the way we love to gather with the church. Ted Tripp said this, delighting in God is more persuasive than many words. We're to use words, but our joy in God will confirm our words, the authenticity of them to their children. Does that make sense? I've had, uh, I've had two women in my life who passionately love God, who have impacted me. Uh, my grandma, she loved Jesus. I mean, she loved Jesus more than anyone. Her, um, anytime you would be with her, she would talk to you about, uh, about, about Jesus, about the gospel, what God is doing in her life, her love for the church. I mean, you just being with her, she loved Christ. And as she was dying, um, her words that she would say over and over and over again were, remember the cross, 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 remember the cross. All the time, that's what she would say. As her last breaths came near, it's like the more she could do was say, remember the cross. My, I mean, I go through these things ahead of time. I only get emotional and then I come here. It's like, wow, it's weird. Um, my mom's the other one. She overflowed with joy for God. She did. So I, I really, I, I see Psalm 78, the way that generations are impacted here by looking at my grandma and knowing that her parents were also godly and then seeing that come through my grandma and then through my mom. My mom loved Christ, loved to talk about Jesus, wanted us to grow, prayed, wanted us to grow in love for Jesus, prayed for us fervently. One of her uh, passages that she just loved was Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 where it talks about that we are to run the race, and we are to run the race looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so I would say the last two years of her life, that verse became more of a reality, and it was always run the race, run the race, run the race, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, run the race, looking to Jesus. So those those words, remember the cross and run the race, they echo in my heart every single day. I don't think there's a day that goes by that. I don't, at some point, remember the words, remember the cross, run the race. This is what the psalmist is telling. As parents, we've been instructed to teach our children God's word and to know God's word and to love God's word and to do it out of fervency and zeal to God. So I want you to just consider right now, just consider What does your passion and words communicate to your children? What words of yours will echo in your child's heart for decades to come? Just think through that. What will echo in there of all the things? And I know we all want to raise our kids so they're great at throwing footballs. I can't even think of a ball. Think of throwing footballs, doing sports, that they're academically strong. They're more like we want so many of these things. But above all, what do we want to echo in their hearts? What do we want them to see? What is it that we're most passionate about that our kids are just, 
They see in us every single day. I cannot emphasize just these first two points enough that as parents, we need to know God's word and we need to love God's word. And this is what I've learned. that The more I read God's word, the more I love God's word. Think of it like a plant. The more you water it, the more it grows. And so if you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm just not really a reader, or man, reading's kind of hard, or you know, I get to Leviticus and it's like, oh, what do I do? Um, like I get it, there's some, there's some tough parts. I get it. But what I've learned is that God has given us his word as the means of instructing us and as the primary means in which we instruct our children. Therefore, there is no one here who's not a reader. God's not going, oh yeah, that's right, some people aren't readers. Forgot to meet their need. And when you, when you are saved, you're given the spirit that we would know his word. But here's the thing, I challenge you on this. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm just not much of a reader. I don't read much. I really struggle with reading. For one, there's like a million ways that you can get into God's word today through audio and other stuff. But I'll tell you this. The more you read, the more you're going to love his word. And I just encourage you, make this prayer. God, help me to love your word. Every day, just say, God, help me to love your word. Help me to see your word. Help me to see it as beautiful. And then just read. Read it each and every day. And it doesn't matter if you're reading chapters or chapter. And see how God begins to grow. Just like a plant, it just grows. It seems like it's growing slowly, and all of a sudden it's bigger. All of a sudden you're going to see you have a love and a zeal for God's word. All right, obviously we have many points that we're not going to get to. Um, let me just, we're going to just kind of rattle through them. Because I want you to know, parents, we must teach with words and works. Your life, everything you do is on display for your children. So your works are on display. Your routines, the things you're passionate about, the things that make you angry, the things that make you happy, the things you watch on TV, things you read, the social media, the internet, your kids see it all. Like, they just do. They see everything, and they have questions about it all. Whether they ask you or not, they see it, and they have questions. So we need to think through, what does my life testify about? How am I using my works? But, but, I, but I want to say this. Specifically here in Psalm 78, we read that we are to tell the children the works of God. We are to teach with words his commands. We must use words. There's going to be a lot of spontaneous teaching in your parenting. Your kids come home, they've trashed something. Totally non-premeditated teaching about to take place, right? Right? You come home and you walk into World War II or three or 19, kids are going at it, everything's crazy, stuff is spilled everywhere, and you're like, is this my home? Surely this isn't. Right now, spontaneous time to teach God's word, his love, to demonstrate the passion and grace of our God at that moment. There's plenty of those. That might be where we spend the majority of our time, spontaneous teaching moments, Okay? But we also need premeditated, specific, intentional instruction too. And there's lots of ways you can do that. And we can, we can spend a lot of time on that. But like Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I just want, you, I want to encourage you. How are you teaching your children God's word? 
For us, what we do, it's normally Monday nights. It's our kind of our family worship time. We gather together. We read God's word. We'll pray about it. We'll talk through it. And there are times, it's amazing. I'm like, man, knocked out of the park. And there are times I'm like, hmm, that didn't go well. It's just, it's just how it goes, right? There's times like the kids are resonating, we're resonating, and there's other days it's just like, oh, wow, that's, did I actually push them farther away from God at this moment? <laughs> like, I'm not sure what happened. But we need those intentional times also. We're just sitting with her. So just wrestle through with that. And again, it has to be the priority we take. Look, you're not going to find time. You have to take time for these things. And you might say, but do I really need to teach? Let me just give you one reason why you need to use words. The only way your children will be saved and believe in Jesus is through the hearing of God's word. Do you know that there is no other way? And I'll prove it. Romans 10, 13 to 17. This is regarding missions, but you can just bring it right in the home. This is what Paul says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? They're going to call on Jesus. They will be saved. But now notice his questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching, teaching, speaking God's word. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Meaning they have to be sent. There must be intentionality. He then writes, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. So what hearing do we need to do? Hearing through the word of Christ. So above all, your, parents, your kids need to hear the gospel. So there's going to be a ton of spontaneous times that you're going to be able to bring God's word into moments. But I encourage you, have specific moments where we're sitting in God's word as a family. And just remember this. It's about a marathon, not a sprint. Your kids will not come to faith in one to two lessons or probably 20 or 30. They will come to faith in a lifetime of lessons and teachings and encouragement from you. And we pray that our kids have boring testimonies. At least that's what we say, right? I don't think they're boring. I think they're awesome. Um, but you know what I mean when I say that? Those testimonies where they come to faith when they're 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that's what we want. That's our desire. But that might not be exactly how it happens. So I just want to encourage you that God may bring them in their 20s, in their 30s. It may be even after you go and see Jesus. But we pray. We, we teach and we shepherd with the faith that God gives growth. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but what? God gives growth. We don't save anyone. You don't save. I don't save. I don't save my neighbor. I don't save my friends. I don't save family members. I don't save my children. That's God's job. Your job, my job, is to be the instruments in God's hands that he uses. What does he how does he use us? We teach and live out the truths of God's word. I think I basically just summarized the last few points. And so pray. We just pray. Pray every day for, I pray every day for my children. Every day that they would know Christ and that God would use them. And just pray. Pray for your children that they would know Jesus, that they would love him and see him. Pray for 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 6. 
This is where Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Pray that God opens your children's eyes, that they would see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's how we parent. Every day, I just want them to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to screw up a million times doing this. And so I'm going to need God's grace to do this. I'm going to need prayers from you to do this, just as we all need prayers. And Psalm 78 shows us how God has met our greatest need by giving us our shepherd king. Now let us teach our children about the shepherd king, that they would know Christ with the hopes that they will then teach their children, who will teach their children, who will teach their children about the glory of this God, the God who truly does save. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the men to come forward. We're going to take communion, and then after that, uh, I'll talk about these books, and then you can feel free to, to take these books. Father, Father, we, just, we, we praise you for life. I praise you that every single person here has been knit together in their mother's womb by you. That we're made in your image. And Lord, we, we know that every single person here, we are born sinful. We are born in rebellion to your word. And what we need most above everything is your grace. And we know your grace is sufficient. For you sent your son to die on a cross that he would pay the penalty of our sins so we could be saved. And Lord, I pray that first and foremost, we as parents would be in awe of your glory and your grace. Oh, that we would love you and we would fall more deeply in love with you every single day. God, help us to know your word, to love your word, to grow in it, to see your glory and your beauty, your might and your wonders. And Lord, give us the wisdom, the discernment, the ability to teach our children, to shepherd. And Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't have children, I pray that we would be urged and spurred on and encouraged today to encourage and come alongside parents, to help them, to pray for them, and that we would see how all of this applies also to our neighbors and our co-workers and to those that we meet each and every day, that if they are going to know Jesus, first and foremost, I need to know you, to be growing in your word, that I would patiently persevere in my faithfulness in teaching God's word to them, praying that you will give growth to them. So Lord, I pray that we as a church would be zealous for your word because your word reveals your grace and your glory and your beauty and your might.